dissection and analysis, try to find out a method of approach to this particular statement of Levi Bacham in the name of Shimon Lakish. I just want to first of all present something which comes out as a principle that you see the approach. What happens is as follows. The, the statement says, the, 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 just to, to recollect the statement, the statement says a person should always engage his good inclination in battle with his bad inclination. Should anger his yetzer toiv on his yetzerhara. That's what a person should do. And then if that works, great. If not, occupy yourself in the study of Torah. If that works, great. If not, then say the Shema. If that works, great. If not, remember the day of death. Those are the, th- the four processes. Now, be just stepping out, of, stepping out of the actual particularities of the, of the case in this discussion, I just want to focus on one thing which I believe is crucial for our movement forward in our connection to the spiritual service of Hashem and the like, and that is that there's a crucial component invested, um, involved in, in growth. And you see it expressed in this particular piece. And that is that growth requires strategy and growth prepares for the possibility of absolute failure and if plan A doesn't work, there's plan B and if plan B doesn't work, there's plan C and if plan C doesn't work, there's plan D. So forget about the particularities of the case but you see a general approach which I think is so refreshing. Often when we, when we think about growth, we think, well, we have to make it work. And then it doesn't work. So we say, well, we have no choice. We have to make it work. So we try and make it work again. And then it doesn't work. Well, we have no choice. We have to make it work. So often, especially when a person starts, starts to engage in religious practice, and he starts to, for example, have the desire to focus in his Torah learning or be present in his prayer, and he sees it's not working. So he doesn't take the approach that Rachel Akish advises in a general sense, which is, Okay, this didn't work, so now think. Why didn't it work, and what will solve the problem? Try that. And then you do, and that doesn't work. So I say, okay, well think. Now what, what was the problem? What was the mechanism? How did it occur? What's going to solve it? Try that. If it works, great. If it doesn't work, so then you'll try something else. The, the, the creativity and the flexibility of approach is fascinating. And you see it over here. He says, this is the way you should do it. And then he doesn't say, stop. Is this the way you should do it? Ah, it may not work. It may just not work. It may fail completely. Okay, don't worry. <laughs> so we'll do this. But that's not going to work. And I don't believe that Rachel Lockish, and it could be that once you've gone through all four processes of Rachel Lockish, if we'd one day understand them, and that they wouldn't all work, so then by implication you'd say, okay, fine, that doesn't work. Now you try something else. So I believe that this is one of the most basic components of the study of Musa. The study of Musa pre- is an enormously difficult preoccupation to begin with. The study of Musa, which is trying to work on yourself to become a better person, carries with it two problems which um, are almost the way the, the, the marshal, the analogy that Ravolbi brings, what he, discuss, what he describes, he's, I think he brings it from some type of, I believe, um, a folklore. There's a folklore which says that there was once a harbor that in order for any ship to reach the safety of the harbor it had to pass between two jagged rocks 
and if it veered to either side the rocks were so sharp that they'd absolutely ripped the ship to pieces so the timing had to be absolutely perfect in order for the ship to actually manage to go through those two precarious jagged stones when you begin the study of Musa there are two jagged rocks at either side which threaten the entire value of your endeavor so a person decides listen um, I feel empowered I feel excited I want to I want to work on myself the first problem you'll hit is the minute a person starts to work on himself almost as an accompanying as a natural side effect he'll start to think it's amazing how holy I am I'm so much better than all those other people that are not working on themselves I'm so righteous I'm so wise I'm so motivated I'm so holy I'm so even if I'm just striving to pure look at the look at the masses walking in the clouds of darkness blind to their futures and I the enlightened one I sail above in the sky and I look down on the pathetic wretched masses and I think happy is my portion goodly is my lot <laughs> the minute you do that you've lost the point the whole point is to make you better and the worst thing you can have is arrogance so you start doing it and then you think and of course you don't think obviously arrogance in an overt sense you think I'm so holy I'm not even arrogant <laughs> I feel so below these people who are so below me. <laughs> it's beautiful. I'm so much better than them and I feel so much worse for being better. I'm so much even better than better because I'm so much worse. I'm just great, amazingly, terribly, horribly, fantastically marvelous. So it's so difficult to actually to know that you really and you're sincere in it and you're trying hard to move forward and you're giving it all you got and then you look at someone who basically couldn't care less and so you automatically think that well I'm amazing he's terrible that's the first rock that you have to get past the second rock is what's called in Hebrew the Koch Hamarida the power to cast off any type of authority we are all given within us a very powerful strength which when pushed down will spring back with such power that it will absolutely destroy any type of measure that wants to impose and restrict it. It's called the Koach in Hebrew and Rav Desu compares it to a spring it's a point of self, of person, that if you feel yourself squashed beyond a certain point, so the squashing of the self is akin to pushing against a spring. You push it down, and the self is there, and you push it down, and the self is there, and you push it down, and the self is there, and you push it down. And as you're pushing it down and down and down, it's getting closer and closer to its source. It gets to this point when you can't push it down anymore, but then something strange happens. The spring, all the energy you've used, and at this point it's by far the hardest, and you do that last magnificent triumph of an act and you push it down and you don't realize that's the point when it's reached the end of its spring and it shoots back and it goes way beyond it destroys way more than whatever imposed upon it because the internal structure is such that if you try to squash the self what you do is you actually prompt it to rebellion
prompts to rebellion. So on the one hand, the problem of learning wisdom and trying to be above and beyond others is you start to feel above and beyond others. And the other problem is the more burdens you place on yourself, the harder you work on yourself, the more restricted you, the more restrictions, the more, you, the more heaviness you place on that person, the more you want to push it off and break free and liberate yourself and feel unconfined. So those are the two problems of Musa. Are you following me? I suppose it's the it's the okay. We will work on that. Good, good, Dave. How do you deal with that as well? It's funny you should ask that because I was actually thinking about discussing that in the next four or five seconds. <laughs> That's good. You point pointed it out, okay? <laughs> Before we get there, we're just going to have a brief break from our sponsor, Dave. So in other words, I mean, it's, it's, it's a general right? It's a cloud. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a cloud that whenever you feel that the impositions placed upon you are squashing out who you are, you—that's what rebellion is. Rebellion is that when the pressure gets too much, there's a certain there's a certain tipping point. There's the, and when you go past that point, then the masses, the individual, eventually says, that's it, no more, and he breaks out. It can happen internally, it can happen globally, it can happen politically, it can happen within a relationship. In a relationship, it happens as well, especially in husband-wife relationships. You're not married, why are you laughing? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know people. <laughs> what happens in a husband-wife relationship, and this can often happen because of well intentioned, especially by the shiva, who who've heard the giving vote. So what happens is, you know, the, the, the famous giving vote, love is based on giving, give, 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 and when you finish giving, give some more. So what happens is, you give, because you, cause you're a film guy, you're going to give. So you don't want to give, and you're starting to build up that inner resentment. And then you say, I hate giving, I'm going to give some more, and you push yourself. And there you go! Take that stupid falafel. <laughs> <laughs> and eventually, of course, what happens? You say, I hate you. You say, Why do you hate me? What have I done wrong to you? You forced me to give to you. <laughs> so that's what you see. In other words, in any area, whenever you try to put on the pressure, you fall, in, you fall into that danger. But at some point, you have to. So, like Daniel King said, which hopefully we'll we would have discussed it five seconds ago, but then we had a word from our sponsors. So, so now, now maybe if back from the commercial break, um, after that brief diversion to allow you to collect your thoughts, let's perhaps discuss how can you help that. So, there's two problems we're trying to to, to resolve. We're trying, and this is all taken from Revolvi in his um, in his work. I'll show the second the second part, and he discusses. There's a section called Avodat Hamosa. Um, Avodat Hamosa. I think it's called. No, sorry. Avodat Musaret, I think it's called. Okay, anyway, he discusses this and he says the way to counteract, he has a, he has a method of counteracting both those, both those problems. Um, let's begin with the Kurchamarida, the rebellious streak with inside all of us. How does how does that work? He says, the way that works is you have to be extremely careful when you're trying to put 
a yoke inside of yourself or you're trying to um, integrate some type of new behavior, new process, new type of... You, you want to move forward, so you want to do something. The only time it's successful <coughs> is if... I'm going to speak metaphorically... <coughs> stop coughing. I'm going to speak... Um, the only time it's effective... The only time it's effective is if you do it in such a way that the weight of the activity remains light and not heavy. Now that's subject to the individual. But the idea is that if you feel it's a burden, if you feel it weighs down on you, you're already courting disaster. Because if it weighs heavily upon you, so then it means that it's pushing something down. And if it's pushing something down, what you do is you're building up the power of the spring. So you have to incorporate actions that you don't feel burdened by them. They have to be so subtly engineered that they will, in the course of time, completely transform the self, but you never, you never actually feel them. They're never heavy to bear. There's a set of Avram Grzynski, who is actually Ravalbi's father-in-law and the mashkech, the spiritual dean of the yeshiva in Slabotka, that he was changing the whole time, but you never heard the knack, you never heard the crack. In other words, it was this melodious change, which was like water upon a rock, which is an analogy that Rabbi Israel gives for change in Musa. Like Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva stood by the stream and he saw this jagged rock which had become a smooth, circular stone. And that's when he decided to commit himself to the study of Torah, because he said, if the water, which is so soft, can fashion the stone, which is so hard, the words of Torah, which are so powerful, surely they can fashion our heart, which is so flexible. But the way it fashions it is in the same way as water. It's one small little imperceptible impression after, the no- after another, and another after another, that slowly but surely the self is carved. But it's not carved using a hammer and chisel. It's carved using the gentle flow of the stream. And it washes over the person once, twice, three times, ten times, twenty times, fifty times, a hundred times, a thousand times and then the person slowly evolves into a completely new being. So the first way of combating the potential to push off against and to cast off the yoke or whatever it is, in this case religiosity or self-improvement, is you have to make sure that when you adopt a new new behavior it doesn't weigh down heavily on you. It's light. And again that depends on the person. For some people, not speaking, controlling the, just learning how not to speak could be a very easy and enjoyable and liberating experience. For other people, it could be suffocating. So you have to know yourself well enough and gauge, is this suffocating for me or is this liberating? Or if it is suffocating, if I do it for five minutes, is that, can be, that in, that can be integrated or is it too much? Because the power of silence is enormous. The power of silence is, is something which is very powerful. Go on, right? In your analogy, you said with, with let's say you have a wife and something is done to annoy you, you either have a choice to not say anything and sort of, you know, it doesn't affect you in your giving, whatever, or you have a choice to like resist, right? right. So I guess I'd say like if you're just the, the times that you give in and you give, it's completely light and natural to you, then how are you, how are you making that progress? Because surely you have to leap forward into that bit that's uncomfortable. So, so, so when moving out of your comfort zone, 
can't be a, again it can't be a radical departure from it so in other words you have to know in your own gauge of self-awareness that when you give in and you feel like you're giving in that you're giving in that you don't feel like you're destroying yourself in the process but you're right there is an element of pushing but it's that that that, that delicate balance between not pushing enough and pushing too hard it's not, I'm not saying it's easy and often the only way you can gauge it is trial and error you know, sometimes a person will become enamored by, by the power of silence and he does it for three days and he says it's amazing and I can go for an hour a day and I can just actually just work and not say anything I can control my speech perfectly that everywhere that comes out of my mouth is perfectly measured but he doesn't realize that that's because it's only been three days so he tries it for three days and then four days and by the fourth day he starts having verbal diarrhea then you realize, okay, so now with hindsight, he says that was too much, and then you adjust it. And then you realize, well, maybe that was a little bit too little, and then you adjust it. So already the whole process of life is uh, an adjustment trying to find the place where it works. Okay? Daniel King, you want to say something? Okay? Goldschneider? Approaching approaching the Nusra gradually makes sense in the context of proactive proactive change change you know, so I'm trying to work on my XYZ so I just make sure to take it gradually so it doesn't overwhelm me but what about the media of being patient with someone else's problem let's say you're being berated by someone constantly so you're working on your media of being yeah, and I'm sorry. And I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. I really didn't mean it. I fully apologize. It was completely un- unintentional. No. I hear the most. I hear it. I hear it. I'm open. Just in general, if someone's trying to tolerate someone who is generally intolerable, someone's, someone's being very intolerable. Right. So you're working on your meter of being patient with them. So what? So as you, if you, if you try too hard to be patient with this person, then you're going to compress yourself into a spring where right. you're going to explode at some point. So right. what? So you should have gradual explosions over a period of time in order to release your frustration. So, so in other words, you have to find a mechanism. You have to find a mechanism to cope with it, and there's a variety of different mechanisms you could choose from. For example, your description of this intolerable person. You'll tell me afterwards his name. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I have my suspicions. <laughs> who he may be but anyway I'll, I'll not say them openly but the, 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 that experience is, is, is a, a product of your relationship so the one way of dealing with it is having multiple tiny explosions <laughs> which stops an explosion of an atom bomb but that's generally not fantastic for a relationship the, the other alternative would be to and div- again it depends on all the variables within the relationship Sometimes confrontation helps, and when you explain to the person the effect that the behavior is having upon you, so then they're able to adjust. And the ultimately, or the most productive level would be change something inside of yourself. Because every rela- re- re- relationship is a product of a dynamic between yeah. the two of you. Now, the dynamic is not, it's not imperative, it doesn't have to be that way. In other words, if someone does something which is absolutely annoying, but the truth is, it's annoying because of some type of paradigm you have in your head. Not, I, don't, I don't know how many things are objectively annoy, annoying. I know people, again I won't mention names, that chewing with an open mouth is a behavior which drives them absolutely insane. Is that you? Yeah. 
That's him. <laughs> no. People, people, and, and they, they even mean Mechadish Nusach of slapping your lips. Have you heard? Look at him. He, could, he can't bear that. He actually can't bear He can't be so evil there. No, and he says, and I made a jump. Did you see? He said, nobody likes that. No, some people don't even know. They're not even aware that there's a tzad that it should be wrong. So, so Daniel King is so... It depends who, on the contrary. I love being that. <laughs> I, feel, I feel that people give me attention. <laughs> I love it. Come nag me some more. <laughs> the, fla- the famous <laughs> slurp for some people that's disturbing and for others not. These things are completely, completely culturally relevant, cult- culturally subjective. So in other words, there's no, there's no, there's no necessary, necessary causality between this act to your reaction. But what happens is as follows. For some reason, you have internalized a paradigm in your mind that that act is subst- uh, disturbing. Now, how, how, the, how that paradigm was formed, basically niche. It doesn't have to be that way. It's not objective. It's not a Torah ideal. Could be u- universal paradigm, though. Some paradigms, I think in terms of those things, annoying things, I think there are very few universal okay, paradigms. Table manners and... and For sure are subjective. Agree, but, but For know, example. If someone's acting in a condescending manner, it could be, it could be universally interpreted as condescending. It would be hard to say inside that that's just my paradigm of... How I'll give an example. In... Um, or the society, or that. So that's cause. It's about K X H R S A. Yeah. So in or the society, um, women, women are. I think it's women and young men. They never allowed to look elders in the eye, and they have to put their head down and look on the floor when speaking to them. In other words, in other words, they have to be condescended towards. And I would imagine that, um, firstly, if you're an elder and you had one of these young upstarts actually looking in your eyes, you'd be extremely offended. And I would also assume if you're part of that culture, I mean, I don't know what it's like today, but it was, if you're part of that culture then and the elder said, look me in the face, you'd also be offended. You as the, as the kid. As the kid. Because you'd think, He's breaching the protocol. I don't. How can I look in his face? That's that's such an un, that's such an uncomfortable dynamic. Yeah, so Rebbe walks in the room and says, "Sit down, sit down, sit down." So you're not going to be offended. I don't think it would work in both directions. I'm not so sure. Sometimes when you see, if you have a person that you venerate, and he comes down to your level in a very open way, it's a little bit disturbing. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable. You don't want you. You don't want you. You don't want you to be that. It's very true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what I find when, I, when I'm speaking to Ryan and he comes down a little bit to my level. It's like, <laughs> it's like so inappropriate. He's there, I'm here. Like, why? So, um, <laughs> so, 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 so I'm saying, so in other words, a lot of these, iri- so, so there it's, again, it's tactical. It's can you, can, you, can you create a new paradigm? Can you, for example, can you, this is what I'm going to do with Daniel K- King and I working on this, is that we're going to try to make an equation in his mind to lip slapping to to the sound of a cascading waterfall which he finds very common <laughs> so then let's, let's just kind of make it we're going to do it in this we're going to do it live so imagine you have a waterfall falling over rocks <laughs> the, the, the gurgling sounds of the bubbling brook mm, so calming so therapeutical 
In other words, in other words, it doesn't have to be. Nothing has to be. Not the sound. It's in that situation, it's not so much the sound that's bothersome. No, it's the sound. It's right? The sound. It's the sound? Yeah, yeah. 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 someone who you don't even know is behind you doing it, It's got to do because you don't like the interruption. It's just I the inappropriate context. Even though yes. I know consciously, he it's, he's not considering the fact of doing it. Right. That's the knowing that, it still bothers me. Right, but it's a completely different. In other words, your and King's processing of that sound is completely different. Right. Completely different. So it's, it's fascinating. We're all different. We're all individuals. Repeat after me. You are all. <laughs> <in> the, <laughs> you're all different. <laughs> So um, it's also very important in relationships these type of things, especially in marriage, because in marriage you have two people coming together where their 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 cultural buildup has, even within like the family culture, has been so diverse that you can literally have one family where slapping your lips was looked upon as a sign of how much you're enjoying the food, and like when your mother would hear you slapping your lips, she says, "Oh, honey, you're loving it," so you'd feel encouraged. And then you marry a person who, who's whenever mother mother would hear him slapping his lips, she'd say, "Can you stop that revolting noise?" So what happens when you put those two people at the supper table? So she really appreciates the food, so she's going, <laughs> and he's and she's thinking, "I'm really showing my appreciation," and he's thinking, "You disgusting creature." And both of them are actually doing the same thing. Both of them just want to express their gratitude for the food, and. And that's and that's then uh, that's that's what marriage is all about because it sometimes takes decades to find out that it's actually <laughs> a different paradigm functioning. You just thought for the first ten years that she's wrong, and the funny thing is that when you think she's wrong and then you become a tzaddik over it, so it completely destroys the marriage. Because what happens is you sit there and you say, "I'm such a tzaddik, I'm not going to complain about her disgusting behavior." So nothing really moves forward in the relationship as opposed to a simple confrontation discussion and say listen when I grew up in my family we reviewed things this way and she says that's so funny because when I grew up in my family wow now I understand why you do that wow now I understand your reaction wow now let's figure out a compromise that's of course how it works in the marriage books (laughs) 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 in the reality your family's wrong (laughs) (laughs) you come from a C family why are they doing that they are clearly off the derech Ah, okay, so back to our point, at long last. The point was that in order to avoid the power of rebellion being awakened from within, a person has to focus on doing small and incremental acts. The second point we said is, how do you avoid arrogance? And this is really the point I wanted to focus on, but unfortunately we have run out of time. How do you avoid arrogance? How do you avoid when you start working on yourself that you don't actually feel that you're much better than anyone else? And this is a key to actually all development and it also opens up the, 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 the pathway for an insincere and sustainable um, rebuilding the structure of self. Whenever you engage in working on something, never treat it as I'm accruing and acquiring a new trait and a new behavior. Rather treat it as an investigation and an exploration 
of how I work in this mode and how other people work in this mode and how things change in this mode. If a person works in himself as an investigative process, as an exploration, as a research project, so then you never say, I am this. You never claim ownership over what you're doing. You claim interest in what you're doing. So if I'm interested in seeing how I would be if I would keep quiet for 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes a day, so when I do it, I'm more interested in the results and the effects than I'm so important because I did that. That's completely not the point because you're not trying to be that. You're trying to explore that. So the way forward in avoid, and maybe we'll dwell on it at a later date, is always to focus on exploration, investigation, and not acquisition and propelling yourself forward. Those things, ironically, will keep you held back. And there endeth the lesson.